Welcome back to the Global Digital Banker. My name is Adele Grissaf and this is RFI Group's Insight Back podcast focused on key trends, thought leadership and best practice within the fast-growing and dynamic world of digital banking. The episode this week focuses on personal finance management tools, the consumer data behind these and case studies from both the Northern and Southern Hemispheres. Our guests include Gerald Ferguson, General Manager Asia Pacific at RFI Group, David Judic, Head of Customer Innovation at CYBG, and Bosco Tan, Founder and COO at Pocketbook. Chloe James, our Group Media Director, sat down with Gerald Ferguson to unravel current consumer usage globally, the demographic and geographic breakdown of this usage, and what features consumers want most when using PFM tools. Here with Gerald Ferguson, the General Manager for RFI Group across APAC. Great to speak to you, Gerald. Hi, Chloe. Great to be here. So this is a really interesting topic. We've got some great interviews coming up, but let's just kick off with an RFI perspective about PFM tools. It's We've seen so much and heard so much about it, particularly in the last even 12 months, I'd say. Where do, where do we stand? What's RFI seeing when it comes to how customers are, are managing their personal finances? It's a really great question, Chloe. I think you're right. It's been a topic that has always been bandied around in banking for the last few years, but it's really come to the fore in the last few years. I think a few things have led to that, particularly the open banking opportunity or the opportunity that comes with open banking and freedom of data, I suppose, and what companies can do with that and what banks can do with that. Um, It's interesting from our studies that we've run, uh, we ran a global study on digital banking at the back end of last year, and we actually asked a couple of questions about this. And despite all the conversation and despite all the talk, we still found that 30% 30% of consumers still use a pen and paper to manage their personal finances. So whilst they do like the idea of managing their finances, some of the ways that they do it are still quite rudimentary. In fact, a quarter of the consumers globally that we talk to don't actually track their finances at all. So huge opportunity in this space. It's a great opportunity to drive engagement with the consumers and to provide something that really adds value to the customer, I think is really, really good. Interestingly, if we asked about would you be interested, about a third of customers globally said they would be interested in taking some out some sort of personal financial management tool, and 80% of those actually wanted it to be provided through their bank. Well, it's interesting having the bank be in control of that. This, this conversation always makes me think of the old school budget and a member yeah. of my family about 10 years ago convincing me to have a budget on an Excel sheet and, and working from that. But this is really where digital can come in. And, and if a bank is driving that, digital can help people manage their finances. What were we seeing sort of across different demographics? Who are who are the people who are managing their finances better than other or who have the desire to and whereabouts are they? Probably wouldn't surprise people to know that those that are more interested in using personal financial management tools do skew a bit younger. Um, And I think that's just a familiarity with technology and comfort with technology. Interestingly, when you look at what people want out of a financial management tool or a PFM, um, in the East, so across Asia, it's more skewed towards tracking of investments, so their portfolio performance, how their overall net worth is growing. Uh, It's a very Asian thinking, a very Asian mindset. Uh, Whereas in the West, in UK, in the US uh, and in Australia, it's a little bit more about just tracking my day-to-day spending. So there's a slightly different mindset behind it, but I think ultimately the driver for having some of this is to make sure that I'm doing enough to continue either maintaining my lifestyle as it is or setting myself up for the future. And I think you know when you look at the way the world is kind of changing, what people want is to manage it on a daily basis, but they're also looking for that future view as well. 
Well, interestingly, when I spoke recently, and he's on this podcast a little later, Bosco Tan from Pocketbook, his concept was that they began Pocketbook as a way for people to manage their day-to-day spending. As you say, wow, I'm spending this much on coffee, I'm spending this much on Uber. Whereas now it's really kind of progressed in five years in, you know, people are you know, managing their finances right up to getting home loans and other big ticket items such as those. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really important point because, A, it needs to be more than just a good user experience. It can't just be, if it's a fancy looking app that you swipe things to the left and right, that's all fun and games and great, but it doesn't really drive that daily engagement. What you want is something that provides value. And if you link it to something like saving for a home, which is a huge purchase and a huge part of everybody's life or most people's lives, then it starts to become ingrained in them really wanting to track it and having an end goal. And I think that's a really important part because driving that daily engagement is really, really critical. When we think about the daily engagement then and we think about people who listen to the Global Digital Banker podcast, what what's your advice? What are you, What's your advice to bankers where there might be opportunities? Is it is it creating a PFM that actually does help with far greater management of your finances as opposed to just those small day-to-day ones? I think it has to be a mix of both. I think importantly what we see from consumers, we know there's no argument that the world is going more digital. So digital transformation is happening. Customers are more happy and more willing to engage with banks on a daily basis. And in fact, we've seen that daily habit, if you like, increasing with bank and consumers over the last six months from our research. So about 30% of customers are engaging with the banks through some sort of digital channel. The opportunity for a, a bank or any sort of financial institution or financial services provider is really to drive themselves upstream. And what I mean by that is putting themselves in the ecosystem of the consumer and being at the point of, you know, you're in the face of the consumer effectively. Customers spend a lot of time on their phones. We know that. They spend a lot of time in things like messaging apps. Um, and a lot of that is done just to check balances and check recent transactions, which is effectively what your money, your management tool should be doing, is letting you know how much money you spent today and how much money you sort of got to left to spend for the month or the week. So the opportunity is to come into that daily habit and be into that ecosystem of the consumer where they are looking to you as a trusted provider and a trusted partner in their kind of savings journey and also their investments journey. Um, and that becomes really, really important. Um, and that's a great opportunity. The other opportunity, obviously, is to utilize digital innovation and AI and, and future kind of uses of AI. This is one that really, really becomes important. It's about automation of things so they can now start to predict and be proactive and say hey chloe did you know that you spent x amount on coffee this week if you cut that down to one a day then you'd be able to save this much over the course of a year and that would help you get to your goal of owning a home or whatever it might be so just trying to use the ai aspect of that so the banks can come in and show that value where it's making it easier for the customer um, but also a value add at the end of the day. Yeah, um, it's back to the value piece. It's you've yep. got to add value and add, you know, not just incremental, but a much greater form of value. You spoke then about education. You gave some great stats there about the percentage of people using, 30% we're looking at there. How much more needs to be done from an education perspective? Do you think that the research show that people are really aware of what these tools can do? Is there a long way to go? I think there probably still is a long way to go. I think when you think about just the overall financial literacy of some of the consumers that we deal with, what the concept of a a budgeting tool or a financial management tool could do for them um, is always something that that you need to be aware of. And you you can never educate and talk to your customers enough about the benefits of what this could potentially do for you. Because one of the things we always see, one of the biggest barriers to take up of anything new, be it new way to pay, new way to bank, it's got to be convenient, it's got to be providing a service and a benefit to me, and it's got to be quick. 
So if you can make it quick, if you can tell customers that it's not going to be onerous on you, we'll actually do a lot of the heavy lifting for you, but provide you a benefit, then you can push those educational benefits out to the customer as well. So interesting piece there, Gerald, on financial literacy. Do you then think that a PFM tool really can help this unbanked population and therefore bring them into a more traditional banking environment, therefore there's more customers? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we were both at Money 2020 a couple of weeks ago. One of the big themes that came out of that conference was around financial identity, financial inclusion, obviously driven by technology. You look at some of the markets like Thailand, Vietnam, Philippines, Indonesia, huge amount of smartphone uptake, huge amount of digital penetration low amounts of banked population. And I think if you can use PFM tools potentially as a way to get customers using and becoming comfortable with banking products in a way, um, it obviously opens up that um, opportunity to, to market to these customers and bring them into the financial uh, ecosystem, which is, a, which is obviously a great thing. And the benefits for them then once they get into that um, ecosystem are, are, are great. They're very comfortable with using prepaid technology. They're very comfortable with moving money and things like that. So I think this is a natural kind of step and progression for them um, and potentially it could lead to uh, if a company is able to build up that usage of PFM it could potentially lead to giving them some sort of quasi credit score as well because if you can track their spending and track their income which is often very hard to do if you can do that through some sort of personal and their behaviors and you, you track their behaviors as well and you own all that data about them you can make a very educated guess on potentially what type of customer they might, they might be for you. Fantastic. Listen, thank you so much. Great to chat about PFM. I think it's really interesting. We've got some great interviews coming up. Thanks for your time, Gerald. Thank you very much, Chloe. Sarah Hollinshead, our Group Head of Content, caught up with David Judy to discuss the unique play from CYBG in launching a digital bank proposition known as B, how the ecosystem has evolved from when they launched two years ago, and how they've used customer feedback to continue to develop their offering. Pleased today to be joined by David Dudek, Head of Customer Innovation for CYBG. We're sat here in the B Innovation Hub, so definitely getting those feels around me. So thanks so much for being with us today and for having me here. You're welcome. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, so we're here to talk about B mostly. So it's coming up to its two-year anniversary. Very exciting. And it's really, you know, was one of the pioneering PFM tools in the market. And there's obviously a lot going on in that space now. But let's talk firstly about the sort of uptake for CYBG customers and new customers how's it been yeah really good actually i mean it's easy for me to say that it's been really good <laughs> uh, but we're we're pleased we have got i suppose approaching two hundred thousand customers who are using b now great the most important part of that for us is how they're actually using it though so we're finding that most of the customers who have b actually use it as their main banking service rather than trying it to see if they like it right so that's a really great thing for us that means those customer numbers they're, they're real customers they're really engaging with our service. They're really helping us to then develop that service further. And over time, I suppose the engagement and the positive vibes they give off around that, the proposition and the brand, will help us to have this really, I suppose, maintain this really game-changing approach that we think we put to market. So that's how it's sort of different from some of the other challenges in the market, is that it's, this is their main account and they're using it as their, it's not a sort of addition to their main bank account. This is their main banking relationship. Yeah, that's right. And that does come with its own challenges. To, yeah. to, uh, for a customer to take B for the first time, they have to have taken that decision to buy their current account, savings account from us, which is a bit of a hurdle. We know that mm. in financial services. But those that are making that leap are absolutely, uh, they're responding 
really the way we want them to. They're, they're, they're using the service, they're getting value out of the service. And you've got a whole range of super users who are finding ways to use B that we didn't even imagine when we kind of first started, really. And they're getting value out of it, i.e. they are managing to get more out of the money they've already got mm. rather than uh, rely on, I suppose, shorter term kind of cash incentives to help stimulate their spending behavior. They're really engaging with their money in a different way. That for us is really powering. It's really kind of motivating. Yeah. And you, sp- you, sp- you said the responses have been positive. Can you talk more specifically about that? I'm sure you've got lots of lovely stories, customer uh-huh. stories about what specifically the feedback has been on using B. Yeah, my, my, my favorite example is a relatively recent one, actually. So we've been running, uh, we started in January, I think, called the uh, Betox campaign. And it's it's a way for us to try and bring financial fitness to the 4-3-B. So we, wanna, we want B as a brand and a proposition to be so much more than just about money. We want it to help people educate. We want to, to make people have fun with the, the money they've got yeah. uh, rather than to worry about it. And uh, there was one story that came out I suppose through this approach, and it was a, a, a story related to a family who are, who are split by being in the army. So it's um, a wife, she's at home, generally based in the UK, with two kids, a dad who's based on quite long placements um, abroad. And they've been they've taken the inspiration from Betox and they've taken the features of budgeting and savings pots. And they've then put some of their own flavour on top of it uh, to come up with some neat little savings ploys, such as putting a pound away for every day that the dad's away and they create these different pots specifically geared around having amazing family days when he's back mm. and they name them all differently rather than just having a nondescript savings account and it's it's those kind of stories that that's why we do this kind yeah. of thing right it's about money to help people uh, live their lives rather than uh, money to kind of engender more stress which is kind of what normally happens when banks get involved yeah. uh so yeah, I mean, that, that story I just think has got so many lovely kind of connotations and overtones and yeah, that's kind of what makes it worthwhile for us, I think. Yeah, it's shifting that focus from it being a struggle to save as opposed to I'm saving for this lovely moment and getting the whole family involved, that is a great story. That's it. And I think we have to make sure that we continue to, if, if we take that specific customer, continue to meet her needs. And so she's come up with some amazing, uh, nifty little ways to, to save money in different ways using our tools so how can we help other customers learn from her how can Mm. we make it even easier for her and others to set up those rules so the biggest challenge always is to start something whether that's starting a diet or whether that's starting your gym when you've not been for six months or in my case about five years (laughs) Um, starting is the biggest challenge so making it as easy as possible to start um, makes it easier to then continue yeah and pfm tools has been it's been discussed by the industry for a number of years. We're seeing an increase in now in terms of the offerings in the market. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Why has it taken this long to get to a point where we can we can do this well? And then secondly, has the delay been that customers just don't understand it, therefore don't want it, and that's changed? Talk more about kind of how the ecosystem's evolved in your views from before you launched and also within the last two years where a lot has happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's two or three things on that, to be honest. So I think the first is it's it's never really been that easy to do in a way that's meaningful for customers. So mm. uh, we were very inspired at the start by the successes of Mint over in the United States, mm. but the regulatory environment in the States is quite different to Europe. Now, P 
PSD2 coming along has yeah. kind of changed people's mindsets on that. So no surprise that PFM has become more of a thing yeah. as the journey to PSD2 has been happening. But it's not been that easy to do because managing data is core to it. And then managing data in, a, in the way that you can churn in real time, personal to you, nobody wants generic information. Nobody wants information a day after they needed it. Mm. And I think PFM has, has struggled a little bit from that in the past. And the proliferation of APIs, both between banks and non-banks now, has made that a much easier uh, real-time kind of process. Second part to it, I think, is trust. Uh, and I think that is an issue that's going to stay for a while, actually. Mm. Customers, despite everything in the last 10 years, still value and trust that banks will look after their data. And rightly so, because banks very heavily regulated and have such a responsibility to look after that data and they do it very well. If you have to give that data to a third party though to have an effective PFM solution, that makes people nervous. Mm. Um, And I think what we've seen is a lot of propositions come to market and grow quite quickly in the early stages and then they very rapidly hit a ceiling where there's early adopters who are willing to share their data, that well runs dry. And then you hit the mainstream who want to keep the data close to the chest. Issues like have been happening in the press the last few weeks with Facebook, etc. Yeah. Don't exactly help that. Yeah. Um, and I think banks have got now a really important place to play in that, which is we can offer PFM in a really trusted, safe environment. And the trick will be how we can augment our own data with third-party data and convince our customers and broader customer sets to give that data to us. Trust is it's something we're seeing in our data is that banks being able to leverage that trust because there's sharing your data with big tech companies like Facebook, mm-hmm. Apple, etc. But then there's sharing your banking, your financial data, completely different story. But if you're asking specific questions about financial data, it's with the banks, the trust. Yeah, it is. And again, there are some really interesting UK based propositions out there. Like when it launched, you think about 18 months ago now, uh, Clio, as a, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Clio, but Clio yeah. is a, a chatbot banking service. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting proposition, really exciting use of different kind of communication channels to take different banks' data and give it to customers in a way that's interesting and relevant. Problem is, again, that you go, right, well, it's heavily reliant on Facebook as a service. Yeah. Well, that's been damaged at the moment. Um, it's heavily reliant on the quality of data coming from banks. We know that um, until the later stages of PSD2 come in last year with the security framework, that the proliferation of APIs is going to be quite constrained. Yeah. Um, so you're still kind of reliant on screen scraping technology and things like that. And, and they just inherently create doubt, I think, in the minds of customers about yeah. what they do. So I sound quite negative about it. I don't mean to be. Like we, We've created the... Because we fundamentally believe that that's where customers want uh, information to go and where they want banking to go and where they want the role of a bank in their lives to go. Once you lose trust, it's so difficult to get it back. Um, And we are a long-established bank. We do have a big customer base and maintaining that trust is really, really important. Mm. Well, let's talk more about that, the technological innovations that are coming into play. We're walking around your innovation hub. I can see the sort of creativity and the minds ticking away. What are some of the additional tools and services that you're going to be adding to the B offering for your customers? What you got coming up? So what do we have coming up? Well, probably no surprise to anybody that we'll be uh, taking our first steps into banking aggregation. Mm. It's a pretty obvious mm. uh, step <laughs> for a PFM tool within a bank. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be going live relatively soon. We are going to be doing what I've said, which is 
I suppose taking baby steps, making sure that we understand how customers respond to it before we build services out too much. But yeah. uh, the big vision has to be every bank, every FS provider will underpin something with aggregation, right? So it's going to be a hygiene very, 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 very quickly. Uh, but for us, if we can have the ambition with B that it enables any customer to get a better experience of their current FS provider through B mm. uh, than from their current FS provider, then we're onto something. Yeah. Um, it means we don't need to worry about uh, customers switching their current account because the current account has been the main engine for banks because it's the main bank state. But yeah. that's because it gives you the data and it gives you transactions. Well, you can get that through aggregation. So uh, aggregation becomes our first step. And then there's the next big thing is going to be our marketplace. So there's loads of buzzy words going around at the moment. Again, yeah. I, I kind of cringe a little bit when I say things like marketplace or ecosystem <laughs> because everybody's using them. For us, uh, we are going to be expanding, I suppose, the, the services that B can offer outside of the core B app. We know that we can't and we shouldn't build everything ourselves if we want B to be all it can be because we're not experts at everything. We're experts in the banking side of it. So uh, we'll be launching our marketplace, which will enable customers to interact with their B data through approved services, controlling those connections through B, and potentially bolting on any number. The point you get to infinite numbers of connections is how do you make that manageable for customers? Mm. Our big, 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 big biggie, which is we're moving business. So we'll be launching B for business later in the year. So firstly, we'll be moving B, targeting more of the small end of SME, yeah. but certainly not limiting it to that space. I think how the brand uh, represents itself uh, will change as you move up that customer cycle. So uh, some of the colours and some of the language we use for a, a student uh, in the B space, for example, isn't going to be appropriate to a 25 million a year turnover corporate. Yeah. Um, so we'll be changing that, but that's essentially it'll still be the same core service. Um, there's a whole heap of exciting um, business developments, I suppose, which are going to have benefits for a retail customer because I think we'll be one of the only banks in the UK that have both sitting on exactly the same platform. Mm. Uh, my excitement levels went into kind of overdrive just before <laughs> I went away for a little break uh, when I realised that we are building a capability, a kind of a hygiene capability for our business customers, which will enable directors to manage the spend accounts of employees within mm. the banking service and you immediately go wait a second replace director with parent, uh, replace employee with child and we've just built a B kids proposition mm. using capability that's there for business which makes it means it's really secure it's really safe it's really intuitive mm. those kind of things are really exciting for us because it's when our scale as a full service banking entity really come to the fore and yeah. separate us out from the fintechs yeah whilst us being small enough to do these kind of things it still give us that advantage over some of the bigger players so, it is yeah it is a unique play that you have as a long established trusted bank with a challenger bank digital only proposition that is sort of as part of the main institution which is exciting and can you talk more about how that interplays so what have been the benefits for sort of cybg to have the B brand, and how has it helped in customer engagement for CYBG? Yeah, so B has been so, so important for CYBG, I really can't understate it. So we floated as an entity just at the point that B was about to go live. Yeah. And if you know, we have been for a long, 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 long time a subsidiary of a National Australia Group, and having B, uh, both the platform that it sat on and the brand and something really exciting 
help to galvanize huge amounts of support with our investors. That support continues to this day, which is excellent. What B has then done for our staff. So we've got staff in our business who have been here for 25 years and they've seen the bank go through the upheaval in banking over the last 10 years, but they've seen us come through the other side and mm. then have an exciting kind of shining light that they can get behind. Yeah. They're seeing us opening new spaces on the high street, which are B themed and they're exciting spaces. We've got a whole raft of new people who've joined our business as staff because of this kind of big lightning rod that is B. It's an exciting brand that they want to be part of. And then for customers, the impact it's had on uh, advocacy has been astronomical. So we get our B net promoter scores are regularly three, four, five times those of Clydesdale Bank Mm. and Yorkshire Bank. Uh, Clydesdale Bank and Yorkshire Bank are, are good for the industry. The industry itself isn't great compared to retail. Yeah. B, advocacy is up there with retail. What a great platform that is for us. So we have a growing customer base. We have customers who use us as their main bank. And in the main, they love what we are offering. Yeah. And I think the the final part of that is, I suppose with what we're doing here in Studio B, by being trying to be so transparent with the things we're trying to deliver and the things we're trying to develop, that we've opened this two-way communication flow. So we've got a much more vocal customer base now mm. through B. And they are willing to tell us when we're doing things wrong and they are willing to offer their opinion on things that we should be doing. They're responding well when we're, when we're acting on that. And I love that it's experimental. As I was going to say for the listeners out there, I've put a ping pong ball. You've got a question that's, you know, which the security service uh-huh. do you feel more comfortable with? Is it biometrics and voice recognition or is it a traditional password and security question and you can put a ping pong ball in which i enjoyed <laughs> but it's all it's asking people what they want rather than just riding with it right that's right and it's more than that so the reason we've got the lab on the high street in a store yeah is, i mean generally the door is open can't be open 100 percent of the time but generally the door's open we invite customers in to participate ad hoc in creative sessions we use design thinking in there so it's fairly straightforward for them to drop in or augment other groups that are actively going on we will question them about mm. uh, the problems they face We'll um, go and test in real time adsets that we've done in the last kind of hour on the street, in the store, at the design museum down the road. And it's such a faster, more fluid way of coming up with interesting concepts. There's one uh, which I'm super, super proud of and is in uh, on route to delivery. And we called it Read Receipts, but it doesn't really do justice. And it was, it was based on insight from customers who were coming in here that one of the things that stops them from going wholesale digital or one of the things that they worry about when they are using digital services is where their payment has gone when they've made it. So we come up with the concept called read receipt, which is a bit like WhatsApp. Yeah. Once that payment is sent, uh, two grey ticks, uh, one blue tick once it's been uh, received, the second blue tick you know, once it's, the account's been opened or yeah. something. The important part of that was we know that that data already exists through faster payments, just that nobody surfaces it. Yeah. And it's the kind of concept that is so simple that if you put a thousand bankers in a room for a thousand years, they would not come up with it. Mm. And that's the kind of thing that makes me smile. So mm. uh, innovation lab shouldn't always be about the big thing. Yeah. It should sometimes it's the simple thing, and that's my watch out, and that's our bank's watch out when it comes to development of B. We have to balance exciting new with genuinely staying true to what we're trying to do which is making it easier for customers to get financially fit by engaging better with their finances and that isn't always going to be sexy it's going to be sometimes really pragmatic but interesting yeah interesting because it relates to i mean the blue ticks very satisfying for me when you see that go through you're like yep done everyone relates to that yeah yeah exactly that and you know well in a world of psd2 this is a really exciting 
proposition and I know everyone's going to be watching you closely. A massive well done to the B team um, and thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you very much for listening to me, Sarah. Rounding out this episode, Chloe James spoke with Bosco Tan to find out the catalyst behind creating Pocketbook, the changes in consumer behaviour from users of Pocketbook and their partnership and expansion plans for the future. Chloe James here for the RFI Group Global Digital Banker podcast with Bosco Tan, who is the Chief Operating Officer of Australian-founded Pocketbook, an amazing proposition to come out of the East. Um, Bosco, great to have you on. Yeah, uh, pleasure to be here, Chloe. So we're talking personal finance management tools, which is a huge hot topic. We chatted about it before we hit record and Obviously, everything Pocketbook is doing is so amazing in this space, a bit of a leader, actually. So let's just kick off right into it. The catalyst behind creating Pocketbook and how does it actually work? Um, so maybe let me let me talk about how it works. Pocketbook is essentially a tool that helps people look after their money. I very much believe that to make a tool as simple as possible for the average Australian is the way to go. Um, so quite simply, you sign up, you put in your um, you know, bank details and it automatically pulls the transactions from your various bank accounts, um, categorizes them and then starts to give you, uh, give you insight like you know, if you're late paying a bill, if your salary is less than what it normally is, if the bank charges you a large fee and so on and so forth. Really sort of uh, what I like to think is, is a bit like an antivirus piece of software for your finances so any anomalies that come up and things that you don't expect it pops up and lets you know in, in terms of how we came up with it um it was actually i think to get to this point where it's a it's a budgeting expense management tool it's it's actually a bit of a journey i think the original solution we we were trying to build is a tool to really just categorize transactions you know, thinking back a couple of years, one of the one of the things that we were going through as Australians reaching 30 years old is that you, you start to kind of want to make some of life's bigger decisions. So both Alvin and I have known for, you know, my co-founder and I, uh, I've known for about 20 odd years, we've grown up together. And we were in a time in our life where we were looking at, you know, things like buying a house and uh, getting married and moving out of home and you know, even sort of thinking about a few years later having a first child and things like that. And those are the moments where um, we ourselves were looking at how we can get our finances together and really start to understand money coming in and money going out. Now, without a tool that simply would categorize transactions in a, in a very easy way, we kind of went down the path of building our own. And that, that was the genesis of what Pocketbook was, really a tool to just take generic bank transactions and, and put them into buckets. Um, and that turned into essentially what it is today, which is more of an ongoing budgeting and expense management product. I love that you said there, you know, an anomaly with spending habits and that kind of, I guess you could look at that of, oh, people didn't realize they were spending that on certain items. But this is where that categorization comes in and you go, mm. am I really spending that much on coffee or am I, you know, spending that much in uh, retail or hospitality or whatever. So it yeah. really does sort of allow for people to really understand what they're doing when it comes to budgeting and, and spending habit. As far as your users, they must be really seeing how their behaviours are changing. Are you, are you seeing that people are actually changing their spending habits based on using something like Pocketbook? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think people come at it from different motivations, right? Mm. I mean, one of the first things that people used to see, and, and that's no longer the case, how much they actually spend on, um, you know, ATM transaction fees. Mm. So the idea that then people start to pay attention to, you know, getting money out of from their bank's ATM becomes a, a really easy change for people to save like 10 bucks every fortnight. At the, at the very kind of low end of the behavior change spectrum, that's kind of what we see. Um, and that's really meaningful to people, um, we believe. And then on, on the other end, it's, you know, you see people really sort of clamping down on days going out or whatever because they're moving towards wanting to build a bit of a deposit for a home or um, wanting to save for, for a holiday and so on. So I think we, we have the full spectrum of behavior change really driven by what it is that people want to achieve financially. Is it just you know, trying to get a little more every week or trying to sort of build for something that's that's quite a bit bigger. Well, interestingly, personal finance management tools, when you think about it, it does, it seems like it would be, oh, personal finance, budgeting, the smaller amounts. But as you say, these are the kinds of changes that you make to make far bigger life decisions with your finances. As you mentioned, you know, starting a family, buying a house, some of the biggest uh, economic decisions that you can make. So it's it's interesting how how broad that has got. Something else we talk about a lot at RFI Group and a lot of our research points to is this piece around trust and, and trusting banks and trusting fintechs and trusting new providers, digital-only providers. How does a digital platform and how have you and Alvin really gone away to you know, encourage your or, or let your let your customers know that you are trusted and that the platform is completely trusted and to get them on board. Have you ha- have you come up against any roadblocks when you've been building it, or has it been pretty more seamless? Um, absolutely. I mean, trust trust in us has grown over time. I mean, it's it's a natural, I guess. Uh, you know, uh, expectation that a user would trust the product more if more people that they know use the product as well. So. Um, by that, by that sheer sort of um, volume of referral and, and and by the sheer size as we grow over time and the history we create, that really sort of gets more people trusting the product. Just for the benefit of the listeners, yeah. what are your numbers looking like? I guess globally, what what sort of numbers are we talking about when we talk about users and you know how long you've been in operation for? So we've been around for about four and a half years. We're probably close to five now, and. Um, yeah. And, and we're we're tracking half a million Australians using the product, and we're only in Australia, so that's quite a significant number when you compare it to sort of the user bases of a lot of financial um, organisations here in Australia. Congratulations! There's some some amazing numbers. Thanks. Uh, I like to just just back on on trust. Maybe um, look, trust really comes in kind of two different types. Uh, one is you know, what you like to call is that are you on my side trust, right? So mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, do I as a consumer believe that you as a company or as a product is doing everything to make sure that I'm better off tomorrow than, than yesterday? Mm-hmm. You know, you're on the consumer side level of trust. Um, and then and there's another one, which is, uh, you know, do you trust and believe that, you know, your money will still be there tomorrow, more of a utilitarian trust. Yeah. So the banks typically are great at giving you the trust that your money will be there tomorrow, whereas someone like us, which is completely bank neutral and uh, on the consumer side will flag things like, you know, you charge a bank fee, really excel at the, you know, the consumers believing that we're, we're serving, 
them rather than kind of serving our own bottom line. So it, it's really interesting. And over time, we've kind of grown on the, the security side of trust. You know, users believe that when they leave their details with us, it'll still be there tomorrow and, and nothing will be compromised, right? So we grow on that spectrum, whereas we, we hold dear and hold on to the fact that we will behave in the best interest of the user. And I think banks have a different battle to sort of go from the other side, whereas they're great at, you know, making sure things are safe, but they're, they're not necessarily working in the banker's interest. So that's kind of an interesting lesson for me to understand even from day one, because the way we're positioned and because who, who we are and because we're working on the consumer side, we have a tremendous amount of trust already, but it, it's another side of trust that we, we need to work on. Mm, that's really insightful. I love the, I love the sort of, uh, you know, the comparison there between your know, trust in keeping my finances safe mm. and then a proposition like Pocketbook, a trust in a company who is looking after me and my finances and, and making life better for me and, and my finances and, and how I'm managing them and what I'm spending on. You mentioned we did just chat then a little bit about how you are Australian uh, based as a company, half a million users, which is awesome. Any plans for expansion? Are you looking at other markets if you can reveal? I'm not sure if you can. Um, I mean, we've always been uh, approached in terms of um, we consider looking at um, another location, whether it's in partnership or whether it's um, with another sort of financial organization or another startup. We've always decided to focus back on Australia. Um, and, and I don't think that's changing anytime soon. But it is it is a core of our business to, to solve the problem for Australians. And I think Australians have a, a really unique set of problems when it comes to finances, um, which are distinctly different. You know, our environment of, you know, having compulsory super and housing prices going the way they are. And, you know, and those are the kind of market dynamics that make us different, which we're very interested in kind of solving those problems at the moment and making sure they're done properly before we kind of look elsewhere. Interesting. And you, you do think about Australia, all we, all we read all the time is, you know, one of the one of the highest cost of living in the world. You've mentioned their house prices through the roof and does come right back to this is my pot of money. What am I going to do with it? So, um, yeah, re- really interesting point there. Got to wrap it up soon. I've, I've loved speaking to you. Such an interesting conversation. We spoke about banks then and trust and the difference between a provider like yours and the trust with a bank. I know that you are integrating with a number of banking platforms, traditional yeah. banking platforms at the moment, which is really exciting. And it's great to see those two, uh, you know, obviously fintechs and, and traditional providers working together, which we're seeing so much more of that partnership piece. Can you share a little bit more around the work that you're doing and, and how that's all been going? I mean, we have always been really close dialogue with um, a lot of the banks here locally and increasingly with the, sort of the government push to towards open data and open banking data. Um, we really want to be on the forefront and we, we, we believe we are sort of positioning ourselves at the forefront to take advantage of what that looks like. So looking overseas, looking at the sort of stuff overseas banks and overseas fintech are doing to be able to kind of drive consumer value through not only just read-only access, but also being able to kind of move money and automate transactional experiences inside an app that helps really is on the user side to help them kind of continue to to grow their wealth and, and save money. That's the sort of stuff we're looking at and we're, and we're looking to build. And they're the sort of stuff that we're talking to our partners about. Alvin always says, 
we really are day zero of of the future. Yeah. Every day it's like, you know, we're looking ahead and, and looking at, you know, what's possible with our partners and how to redefine the functionality and, and, and the sector in which we play. Great. Well, exciting times ahead, it sounds like, for you and for those who might be working with you. Thank you, Bosco, for coming on the Global Digital Banker podcast. Love speaking to you. Pocketbook, check them out. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Chloe. We hope you enjoyed the episode this week. To view the show notes from this episode, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. Check us out on Instagram, Global Digital Banker, Twitter at GDB Podcast, or on Facebook under Global Digital Banker Podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.